you would please turn in your Bibles. Second Corinthians chapter four. We are looking at verses seven through fifteen. Second Corinthians four, seven through fifteen. A treasure in earthen vessels. Let's pray and then read the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the amazing gift of redemption, the miracle of redemption. And Father, I pray as we study your book this day, that your spirit and your people would strengthen us for the task that is at hand. And that, Father, we would decrease as you increase. Lord, I praise you for this time. I praise you for your holy book. I praise you for your precious bride, your church. And I praise you, Lord, in your sovereignty. You saved us. Father, may we never, ever take any of that for granted. And Father, may we rest in the assurances of the things that you will accomplish. Father, the task before us is beyond our understanding, our capabilities, or talents. And therefore, Father, bring us to the end of our rope that we can see the glory of God manifest in your strength through these clay pots. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Got that? Very simple, very easy. We are looking at this text, understanding that this treasure is in an earthen vessel, in a clay pot, in a earthen garbage bucket. Okay? And the treasure is the new covenant. The new covenant is the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is what we have. That is why the church is still here this very day. Is that in these earthen containers... The glory of God will be seen. And it is the person of Jesus Christ. But to understand this, we, and, and I look at 2 Corinthians as ministry. Okay? We have this ministry. That's what Paul told us. We have this ministry. If you're saved, guess what? You have a ministry. And it's really easy. It is the new covenant in a clay pot. And what is really awesome about this is that the Apostle Paul is under attack. I mean, they're attacking him. He's unimpressive to look at. Well, that would be the greatest understatement of the century. Think about it. Stoned and left for dead. I'm thinking he's got a few marks on him. He had something to do with his eyes that the people in Galatia said, you're just tough to look at because of the ooze. He had no impressive speaks, but he could write. Hefty writings, but he can't speak. He isn't much fun to look at. 
All right. And you know what? If you're really honest with his ministry, why does everybody want him dead? I mean, Jiminy Crickets, you know, he must have some hidden sin that God's just beaten the stew out of him. Right. We've seen that. I've watched people who were diagnosed with diseases that were terminal and everybody says, I wonder what they're doing behind closed doors that God has given them that. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. You know why I like that? Nothing's changed. And yet when you step into ministry, guess what? bullseye you become the target if they cannot find sin in your life they will look for something strange in your doctrine if they cannot find anything strange in your doctrine then it becomes you and they come after you and you know what i don't care it you know and everybody says well if you're in a big church no if you're standing on truth and you've got four people you're going to get hit Therefore, the Apostle Paul says that we are but clay pots. Why? Because then it takes all of the glory away from the container and puts it into the hands of God. Look at the church today, brothers and sisters. Tell me that's true. Why? Everybody wants credit. I've heard, well, you've never thanked me for nothing. I don't have the heart to look them in the eye and say, there's nothing worth thanking you for. I will thank my God that he has enough patience with you to even work through you. I, I don't understand that. I, I, it just drives me nuts. And... When I realize and when you and I realize that we are nothing but baked dirt jugs that are good for carrying out garbage. Then you move into the position of being unstoppable. Why? I don't have anything here. I... You will eventually get to the place in your earthen container that, you know what? I have no fear of death. If I have no fear of death, guess what? I have no fear of life. Do you understand that? Listen, if I don't fear death, what are you going to do to me? Slander me? Well, there you go. I... These are things that you and I have to pay attention to. I look at the Apostle Paul here. If you go over just a couple of chapters, chapter 6, verse 4. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, as slaves of God, in much endurance, in affliction, in hardship, and in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in turmoils, in labors, and in sleeplessness, and in hunger. Welcome to ministry. Woohoo! And yet, that's what the Apostle Paul is trying. If you look at it, even go back over 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he'll say, in more labors, in more assaults, but we're never destroyed. You can't stop me. Why? I'm an old clay pot. When you get to the end of your resources, then the power of God takes over. And the problem is, you still want to use your resources let me share with you a quote it comes from a little bitty book and it's called the golden book of true Christian life and I'm hesitant to tell you who the author is because he tends to be a lightning rod when you mention his name but if you can get your hand on the book it's a little hard to get your hand on but it's called the golden book of true Christian life and it's written by a guy named John Calvin. And some people go, oh my God. It's... You know what? When I see a person do that, you know what you just told me? You've never read anything Calvin wrote. Out of his little books concerning the text out of 1 Corinthians 6, 19b and 20a. You are not your own. 
You've been bought and paid for with a price. And here's John Calvin's understanding of this text. And, and I think it is very appropriate for what we're looking at. Quote, If we are not our own, but the Lord's, it is plain what error we must flee. And to what purpose all our deeds must be directed. We are not our own. Therefore, neither our reason nor our will should guide us in our thoughts and actions. We are not our own. Therefore, we should not seek what is expedient to the flesh. We are not our own. Therefore, let us forget ourselves and our own entrance as far as possible. But we are God's own. To him, therefore, let us live and die. We are God's own. Therefore, let his wisdom and will dominate all of our actions. We are God's own. Therefore, let every part of our existence be directed toward him as our only legitimate goal. Unquote. Oh, Calvin guy had it figured out, didn't he? Well, a lot of people don't like him, but that's because they haven't read him. Uh, I've read a lot of his stuff, uh, and uh, I've never found Tulip. Uh, I'll keep looking. Which brings me to the verses that we're looking at today, verses 10 and 11, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. When you have understood that you are nothing but an old baked dirt garbage bucket, you really don't mind giving yourselves away. You are therefore sacrificial. Think about it. The only time that you aren't sacrificial. Now think about this. This isn't really. This is common sense if you're honest. I'm not sacrificial when it's important to me. It's like I've watched. I've been in the church long enough to know that when people are getting new living room furniture. They have a sacrificial heart to give their old furniture to the church. Ever notice that? All right. And it's my sacrifice. As long as the pastor's got to pick up and can come and get it. <laughs> Ain't it true? But the truth of the matter is, if you're an old clay pot, I went out and bought new furniture and I'm giving it to the church. Really? I want to be sacrificial in my giving. I have a 1953 Volkswagen. It doesn't run, but I've got this brand new 2000 450 SL Mercedes. Which one would be a sacrifice? I know the 53 Volkswagen is a collector's item. <laughs> right? But you put value on you. Therefore, your sacrifice is Qualified. That's not sacrificial. To be sacrificial means I have to give something up that is of extraordinary value to me. Give it up. Really? Present yourself as what? Living? Or... Do our lives say, I present myself as I will give what is left over of my life to you, Lord. Listen, if I have no fear of death, if I have no fear of slander, I have no fear of the physical or verbal abuse. Because guess what? I understand that it is a purpose of my sufferings. It is the purpose of my sacrificial life. Whether it is physical persecution, uh, hostile accusations, uh, just people wanting to beat up your reputation. Paul says, I understand this whole thing. You look at verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way. We are crushed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Hunted like an animal to be killed. 
And now Paul uses 10 and 11 to say, let me explain to you why I'm afflicted. Let me explain to you why I am perplexed. Why let me explain to you why I'm persecuted. Let me explain to you why they strike me down. Any and all is simply the carrying in my body what? The dying of Jesus. It's the dying of Jesus. And you know what? I, I think about the Apostle Paul. I can go back just to his first Corinthians letter. Chapter 15, verse 31. He says this. They are coming after him. And he says, and I die Daily. I die daily. In Romans chapter 8 verse 36. He says we are being put to death. All day long. And Paul says you know what. It's only every day. It's only every day. Now if you think about this. He says I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But it is Christ who lives in me. Think about that for a second. Because when you think about the execution of crucifixion, it normally took days for the person to die. Now you think about that for a second. So when he's using this mindset and this verbiage out of the Greek language, he's saying, I'm in the process being crucified moment by moment, 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 every day, every day, every day, every day. Why? Because I am crucified with Christ. It's a way of life. Anybody remember that movie Groundhog Day? And he keeps on the day and the day and the day and the day and the next day. And he never gets out of that day. That's what the mindset of the Apostle Paul is. Every day, I'm dying. I'm dying. He understood it. And he understands it. Listen, you and I need to get a hold of this because I think that it's shallow in our grasp. Paul understood It is not me they are wanting to kill. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Daily facing death and dying of Jesus. See, you need to understand something. And and it's a little abstract in our community today in 2011 in this great country that we live in. A lot of people hate Jesus. Do you understand that? I want you to understand that I'm not saying they dislike Jesus. They hate Jesus. But they have a problem. Where is he? So they look at his representatives and they say, they're around, therefore... I hate them. They take out their hatred on those who represent Jesus Christ. He's not around. So they go after those who name his name. You think about it. Listen to it today. It hasn't changed. I listen to the mocking of the person of Christ like I have never heard it openly. Never heard that before. And now it's open. Not only that, it's encouraged. They take out their hatred on those who represent Christ. Now listen, we got some goofballs out there. I'll give you that. Because there's times that they want a spiritual answer. And I'm like, where in the world did they find this guy? I mean, there's sometimes you just sit there and go, huh, wow. Most make you want to be an atheist. They go after those who are of Christ. And they become the target. The persecution of Christ has now shifted to his ministers, a.k.a. his servants. So those who hate Christ now target Christ's people. The Apostle Paul understood that. I mean, if you looked at his ministry, you're like, man... All I'm trying to do is give you the gateway to heaven. So you'll have eternal life. And your guys' conclusion is killing. 
That's brilliant. And yet he never stopped. The hate, the hatred for Jesus is put onto the servants, is put onto the messengers. All of this effort to kill me, the Apostle Paul says, isn't me they're wanting to kill. You're trying to kill me because of the way I speak? You're trying to kill me because I'm unimpressive in my appearance. You're trying to kill me because I'm homely? Really? No, they're trying to kill Christ and they want to shut up the message. Therefore, kill the messenger. Paul's failure. It's got to be a secret sin. There's got to be something in this man's life and God is punishing him. Paul's already said it in verse 2. I have renounced the things hidden. Dying isn't the dying of Paul. Paul says, I'm not dying for something that I am doing. It's not me. What is going on in my life, what is going on in my ministry is based on the persecution they want to afflict on the person of Jesus Christ. Paul says, always carrying about the word there is a verb, present tense, perpetual. And it literally means always exposed to death and it should be no surprise. Always carrying around. Matthew 10 said, Jesus said, a servant is not above his master. Disciple is not above his teacher. If they persecuted the master, if they persecuted the teacher... Disciple, servant, guess what? In John's gospel, chapter 15, beginning in verse 18, says the Lord who makes all of these things known from long ago, therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from the Gentiles, but we write, oh, wrong text, I'm in Acts. Go to John. Because it's better. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You know what? Have you ever seen Jesus' little promise books? Huh? That promise ain't in there. <laughs> they don't put that in there. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Why? They're going to hate you. You understand what that means, right? They're not just uncomfortable with you they hate you okay and hatred has motivation behind it if you were of the world the world would love its own because you're not of the world but i chose you out of the world because of this the world hates you verse 20 Remember the word that I have said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all of these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. See, this is where I, I was talking about this in my Sunday school class this morning. It's easy to spot somebody... Who's a Christian? And everybody can say, well, you can't do that. Yeah, it is. I just read it. This isn't rocket science. This isn't head deep theology. If the person looks like the world, then the world loves them. Guess what? That isn't hard to see, is it? And yet, how many in the body of Christ today in the church walls look just like the world and the world loves them? And yet, they say, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? They hate it when I ask them that question. That's one of the funnest questions I've ever asked. Well, how do you know? Well, I was baptized. Did it work? I'm just asking. I know a guy was baptized three or four times and he kept saying, I just want to make sure. And I was like, I don't think the baptism thing is, going to, is, 
you know, that's the sure thing. Why? If my passions are the things of this world, know what they are not. And one of the things that I have learned, you know, um, I, I'm, there's a lot of people that I, I deal in the secular world with a lot of different situations. And there's people who think I'm completely out of my gourd. Why? I believe that the earth is about 5,865 years old. How many? About 58, 59, if I really push it. If I want to use some metric stuff, that's all I get. And they say, well, that is one of the most stupid things I've ever heard in my life. Oh, well, I have an associate's degree in electrical design. And there's this little problem that mankind has. Okay, anytime you have the expelling of energy, you have the decline of matter. You know what that proves? Now listen, that's a law. Okay, that's it's not a theory. It's a law. It's sort of like if I jump out this window, I bet I don't go up. Okay, because that's a law. All right. If I have the expelling of energy, I have a decline in matter. You know what that proves? Evolution is absolutely impossible. You have to have energy to evolve. And it's going to get better? No. The law says it gets worse. And if you don't believe me, look at our society. <laughs> we are expelling a lot of energy, and I'm thinking it ain't getting better. But people look at me like I'm a nut. Well, you're a nut. My faith is stronger than yours, sir. Why? You have faith in science. And everybody says that religious people were the ones who said that the world was flat. Remember that? Always tell you, truth of the matter, it wasn't. It was science. Job, the oldest book in the Bible, says the world is a sphere hanging in nothing. Now, how did Job know that? Easy. He took a space shuttle and went around at one time, come back and said, look, that sucker is a sphere. <laughs> oh, we don't do the shuttle no more, do we? Sorry. <laughs> don't do the Soyuz either. They blow up. <laughs> look, bottle rocket. Anyway... <laughs> I try to share that with you because you take that stance. People are going to think you're nuts. You just think I was stressed. Try psychology. Whoo! I can get everybody mad on that one. And I have but one question that nobody can answer. How can that technique work on lost people and saved people and have the same results? Because it's of God, it has a response on a saved person that is completely different than that on the lost person. Well, but it looks the same. Yeah, but is it getting you anywhere? They hate Christ. They will hate you. Paul says, and you will carry it around constantly. Constantly. It's funny. I have people who, in the business world, they say, well, Terry, you just seem naive. And I said, yeah, that, that, that's it right there. Um, and then it dawns on me. I couldn't figure out. I was like naive. Yeah. All right. I've been accused of a lot of things, but that's never really been on the list. Then it dawned on me. I'm honest. Therefore I am naive. And, and it, it, it's kind of fun because it drives these people nuts. And, and, and I, it's not, listen, what else have I got? I am a child of the king of king. I am Jesus's slave. So you can't be honest? No. It should be inherent in your nature to be honest. Because you now have a new nature. It is the dying of Jesus, always carrying it around, the body of the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Paul, in the New Testament, somebody told me, uh, 45 times uses the word dying. Okay? And the word that he uses of those 45 times, 40, yeah, 45 times, death is a fact. It is a reality. It is dead. Death is as an event. Okay? 
It is something that has happened. Okay. Here in this text, the body of the dying of Jesus, it's a participle. Okay. In the participle, it says that it is the process of dying and it is ongoing. For you and I in, in America today, we would call it a terminal illness. There's no turning back from this, and I am in the process of dying. Okay? And it's getting closer. I'm getting closer to death every day. See, the emphasis here is an ongoing suffering because of the person of Christ every day. Now then. That's ministry. You know what? I don't think they teach that. Galatians chapter 6 verse 17. Paul says, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. And let me tell you something. By the time he wrote the letter to the Galatians, he had some marks. He'd been beaten with rods. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been stoned. He'd been whipped. He had some marks. He had the ability to look at scars that were existent. He looked and knew because of what he was doing for the Lord Jesus Christ, he had more coming. And in some cases, I believe he could look at them and they were extraordinarily raw. He has in his body the marks of the suffering for Jesus Christ because it is the dying of Christ that humanity is trying to afflict on this person who is ascended to the right hand of the Father and his representatives are here today and they hate him. Paul writing to Colossians, in Colossians 1, verse 24, he says, I fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus was stalked. Jesus was hunted. Jesus faced death daily. And Paul says, I named that name. Remember what John Calvin wrote? You are not your own. I'm God's. Paul looked at his suffering. Paul looked at this affliction. He looked at this perplexion, this persecution being struck down, and he looked at it as necessary. This is necessary. I believe, brothers and sisters, that what you see in the evangelical body in this country today is abnormal to what the true church is. I go outside of this country and I have a few times and I see a persecuted church. And it's the norm. It is not uncommon for somebody to set a church on fire. To paint obscenities on the front door. To kill Christians. You know, everybody talks about the, the religion of peace. The Hindus. Really? They set a father and his two sons on fire who were missionaries in their car. That sounds peaceful. Perhaps they were just against Australians. No, they're against Christ. When I look at the church in the United States, part of the reason is we don't understand what the treasure is. We're trying to tickle their ears. And we will heap to them teachers who will do so. They do not want sound doctrines. They do not want clean words. Paul was battered. Paul was crushed. Paul was beaten to nothing. So that all that would be seen would be Christ's life. And you know what's really cool about it? How else do you explain it? <laughs> that's, that's the cool part. He didn't have marketing, a PR guy. Who led his worship? Did he have a worship band? Small, stringed. You know, harps and, I don't know, flutes. How? 
how do you explain that the only thing the Apostle Paul did was unwavering preaching? Never stop. Day in and day out. I just preach. This new covenant. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How do you explain transformed lives? Behavior modification. Persuasive arguments. A great debater. No, he stood up and talked. People were getting saved by speeches. Speeches are doing a lot for us right now, aren't they? But they ain't saving nobody. And yet, it is through the foolishness of preaching that God invades the soul of the lost and infuses Christ to that very being. How do you explain that he runs the two chief rabbis out of the synagogue and they become saints? Religious experts, chief of the synagogue, I am the chief rabbi, and both of them got saved. How do you do that? Persuasive arguments? Really? That's what they were trained in. No, he gave them the gospel. This precious treasure. Explain it to pagans. No true knowledge of God coming to the knowledge of truth. Explain that. Just hearing a sermon? Really? You know what? In just a few years, less than 10 years, if you asked a person coming out of church 10 years ago, did you worship? And if they were to say yes, you would ask them, how do you know you worshiped? You know what the response would be? The word of God was proclaimed. And you worshiped. That makes sense. God was exalted. Therefore, he is worthy. Therefore, we worship. Guess what you ask him today? You ask a person if they come out of church today, did you worship? Okay? And if they say yes, ask them how they know they worshiped and what will they tell you? Every time. The music was amazing. Wow, that means all of those concerts that I went to in the 60s and 70s, I was just worshiping. I was ahead of the curve. I was a trendsetter. No, man, you got my generation now thinks they're in control and they're doing the same thing they did during the rock and roll era. And look here what we got. And yet you look at the Apostle Paul and all he gave him was sermons. And can you explain the churches? Can you explain these people giving of their lives for the cause of Christ? Explain that to me. He's unimpressive. He can't really talk. He was a crushed man and it's easy. The life of Jesus is being manifest in the body of this crushed man. And this precious dirt jug, the treasure was being seen. Because he understood that he was a dirt jug. Therefore, whatever's happening in my life, you can't stop because it's only the will of God. And even the suffering that people say, well, I think he's got a hidden sin. Guess what? No, that is living proof. Because he didn't bring nothing to the container. The container didn't do anything. The courage... To risk death because of the power of Jesus Christ. The death and life of Jesus worked in Paul and worked in his ministry. And let me tell you something. It wasn't something mystical. Every day Paul was dying. Christ was being seen. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life of Christ seen. The life of Christ is seen in the saint during greater affliction than it is in times of prosperity. Why? Because in times of prosperity, whether you like it or not, you're going to take credit for it. But when you're in times of trouble and trials and tribulations, you're going to take credit for it? 
Look at the hole I dug. But you get to the end of your rope, then whatever happens good is whose fault? Christ's fault. These baked dirt jugs, earthly lives. He makes that statement there. So that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. Our body is that old clay pot. Just an old garbage bucket. And yet the life that you see, the radiance and the glory that you see, the magnificent things that are happening, that's just Christ. Because one of the things that I have watched over and over and over, Christ infused into the life of the Apostle Paul. Christ infused into the life of his servants. And you know what happens? They turn the world upside down. And it isn't through slick marketing. It isn't through, well, you know what? We're going to start Skyping our sermons. I don't even know what that means. But I had a guy ask me, he said, can you Skype it to England? (laughs) Is that like a big airplane or a little airplane? Okay, but you get stuff like that and I'm not sitting there going, what is this? No, listen to the word. It's just a sermon. And when we are at the end of what, we realize we ain't got nothing, guess what? Who gets the glory? Who gets the focus? Talking to a pastor who's coming in from the Caribbean to do a, a guy's wedding. And um, I, I know the guy does some work on his motorcycle. And he says, I want you to meet this guy. I met him down in the Caribbean. He's a, he's a good pastor. And uh, I was like, all right, whatever. I was expecting Jimmy Buffett. But anyway, uh, he comes up to me and he starts explaining all this stuff to me. Okay, and uh, he says that, you know, I'm going to do this wedding for Boomer. And and, and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take two different colors of Play-Doh and then I'm going to put them together and mix them together. And they know that's what they are. I said, well, you're close. And he says, what? I said, they're clay. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I kept thinking, what do we focus on? This is a covenant of marriage that God created and we're going to focus on the people? Really? I don't think so. Verse 11 of this text, he basically repeats it. I mean, he's, you know... For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal flesh. All right, Paul's basically saying, here, here's the deal, critics. Where does the power come from? Everything that's happening in my life, where's the power coming from? You can criticize me. You can slander me. You can do whatever you want. But do you understand that my ministry has turned the Gentile world upside down? And all I did was ineloquent, boring sermons. He says, you know, I'm not fun to look at. You're right. I don't have eloquence of speech and I'm not a great debater. You're still right. But you still can't explain the power of God through me. And the reason the power of God was seen through him is this very simple. Why? I got out of the way. I remember a guy one time trying to explain the Christian life. And he says, most Christians, when we look at it, we think that here we are, this container, a glass. And then God pours into it, that glass. Okay? And it fills up, and then it all spills over, and it goes out, and we have all these little ministry things. Okay? And that's how God's doing it. And I looked at it, and I said, well, I like the principle, but I think we need to change it. And he says, what's that? I says, take the glass. And he said, all right. And I said, knock the bottom out of it. Stick it into the flow of Jesus Christ. And let's let it flow unencumbered. And if we're really lucky, it'll flow enough. You can't even see the glass in there. Because it ain't about the glass. It is about the power of God unleashed on humanity. And he does it in the most awkward ways. The power flowing through 
shouldn't silence. And it doesn't. It just goes through. And then all of a sudden they realize they don't even see the container. All they are seeing is the power of God. We constantly, those who possess the spiritual life, we who live are constantly. Those who have life in Jesus, we preach and our lives witness the life of Christ. And yet, even in that, we are constantly being delivered over to death because they hate our Lord. The word there, constantly handed over, literally means a prisoner handed over for execution. Handed over to a physical death. Why? Because of the hatred of men towards Christ. And it hasn't changed. We are suffering for Christ's sake so that the life of Jesus will be seen. Even in these earthen vessels, baked clay jugs. Paul is content with his weakness. See, here's one of the things. Listen, if you think about it, anybody here struggle with contentment? None of you. Praise God. That is awesome. But if you realize that you're nothing but baked dirt, I'm pretty content. Because if I'm just baked dirt, what do you want to be? A goblet? Because if you're just baked dirt, then anything that is happening is in the power of God. And that should make you content. Paul was content and weakness. Why? Because then I am strong. When you get to the end of self, there's no more me left. Then all that is left is God. Paul's life, look at his life, was weak. It's full of inabilities. Which means that the man was over to the, given over to the power of God. The purpose of our sacrifice in these clay pots is so that the life of Jesus be seen and the glory gets to who? Gets to God. Because the earthen vessel is just an earthen vessel. Very common. Very homely. Paul saw his suffering, his purposeful sacrifice as a result that God's power would be displayed. I had a dear friend, many, many of you remember her, Nelda Thomas, one of the best Bible teachers that I have ever met in my life. I mean, a student of the Word. She never married, and she gave herself wholly and solely to the exposition of God's Word, and she trained up women. And I mean, she was one of the best teachers that I have ever sat around and talked and, 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 and she stayed single because her purpose was to teach the Bible to as many women as she could get her hands on. And she's totally awesome. I remember, it's been a few years ago, she called me and she said, I want you to pray for me. She said, I'm just not feeling really well. She says, I probably ought to go into the doctor and have this sucker checked out and see what it is. She said, just pray. Okay. I said, all right, no, that's no big deal. And I, you get those as a pastor on a regular basis. She called me back two days later. And she said, Terry, God answered our prayers in ways I never dreamed. I said, really? He said, yes. She says, I have pancreatic cancer that is metastasized from my liver. Now, somewhere in there, I'm trying to figure out, God has answered my prayers. And she sounds really happy. Hmm. And I said, well. Have they given you a prognosis? She says, yeah, they want to do this and this. And and, and she went through all the stuff that they wanted to do. And I said, well, when are they going to start on it? She says, they're not. And I said, well, well, Nelda, she says, you know, Terry, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I said, yes, Nelda, I understand that. I said, but you have a very powerful ministry in in Montana and Wyoming and uh, Idaho and all the rest of it and uh, some stuff. Internationally, actually. And she says, well, here's the deal. If God wants this to stop, he'll stop it and he gets the glory, not some doctor. And so I I got to talk to her about twice a week for, see, that was like in an August and she died uh, into September. 
And uh, I remember her calling me. She says, you know what, right now, she says, you know, I'm, I'm, she says, I don't really have any pain. She said, boy, I got a serious case of nausea. And she says, and, and I said, well, let's pray. And I prayed with her over the phone. She was up in Hamilton, Montana. And uh, her friend called me back the next day. She said, you know, ever since you prayed with Nelda, her nausea is gone. And I said, well, she says, I know it was the Lord. She says, but we all get to give thanks. We all get to unite. And look, God answered yet another prayer. But Nelda was a person who says, you know what? Whatever you see, I want it to be the power of God displayed. Period. Period. The servant, the minister, has nothing of self. And they will be unstoppable when they hit rock bottom. Because at rock bottom, they hit the power source. And then they become sacrificial. Greater the sacrifice of self, the greater the usefulness of the Lord. Because it will all show the power of God. I think that's awesome. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and to your praise, let us get to the end of self. Father, as John the Baptist even said before, May we decrease that you may increase. Father, I thank you for my brother Paul. And, and Father, there's a part of me that has a heartache to know this amazing apostle was so abused. And yet, Father, even in that abuse, he understood that you would be seen greater and greater. Father, may we, who are servants, the Lord of lords and King of kings, may we get out of the way. So that all that is seen is the power that spoke existence into being. Father, let us rest in that assurance. To your glory and praise. Amen.